Hi, and welcome to this service from St Ninian's Church in Stonehouse. My name is Stuart, and it's my privilege to be the minister here. If you want to find out more about what St Ninian's does, then please just visit our website at saint-ninians-stonehouse.org.uk or you can find us on Facebook, that's at St Ninian's Church Stonehouse. You'll find out all about our work and the things that are coming up in the next few weeks. Today is the last Sunday in the church year. It's called Christ the King Sunday or the Reign of Christ and we're going to be thinking about what that means for us here and now later in the service. Today I'm joined in leading worship by Joyce and Bob Miller. The reading today comes from John 18 verses 33 to 37. Pilate went back into the palace and called Jesus. Are you the king of the Jews? he asked him. Jesus answered, Does this question come from you or have others told you about me? Pilate replied, Do you think I am a Jew? It was your own people and the chief priests who handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus said, My kingdom does not belong to this world. If my kingdom belonged to this world, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish authorities. No, my kingdom does not belong here. So Pilate asked him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. I was born and came into the world for this one purpose, to speak about the truth. Whoever belongs to the truth listens to me. And so the end has come. Well, the end of the church year anyway. Next Sunday is the start of Advent when we start to turn our thoughts towards the anticipation of the long-expected Messiah. But more about that next week. This week is known as Christ the King Sunday, or the Reign of Christ Sunday. The idea that on this last week of the church year we should think about what it means for Christ to be King came from Pope Pius XI in 1925. In the power vacuum that followed the First World War, all kinds of ideas and forces fought for dominance in Europe. In the East, it was the Communist Revolution. In the West, it was the rise of fascism. Remembrance Sunday didn't come until after World War II, so Christ the King Sunday was an attempt to remind us all that the kingdoms and empires of the world were not where our loyalties should ultimately lie, with the hope of avoiding making the same mistakes that led to war again. The reading for Christ the King is always one from Easter, and in many ways I think that's helpful. The church year can be strange and a bit confusing. We start Advent next week for four weeks, and then it's Christmas for 12 days, then Epiphany for a few weeks, and then it's Lent and Easter. The beginning and the end of the story are so close together. And then we look at the middle, and that can make it difficult to know how the story all fits together. Pilate is the Roman governor. History talks of him as ruthless. The kind of man that he sent to trouble spots to sort out the locals and assert the power of the empire. And ancient Palestine was exactly the kind of place where the natives were always restless. The Romans were smart. They usually left the local structures in place, adding a layer of Roman rule on the top. As long as the local authorities played ball, it worked fine. But if there was trouble, then it was trouble for everyone. 
so the incentive for the local authorities to keep a lid on anyone who might cause trouble was pretty high. The religious leaders had arrested Jesus, but he was entitled to a trial, and their made-up charges of blasphemy, they wouldn't stick, and that was a problem for them. They couldn't allow Jesus to continue because a tipping point had been reached. People were listening to him, people believed him, people were following him and openly calling him the Messiah. At the same time, the leaders were the ones Jesus had been most critical of. They were part of the problem, and people were starting to see that. So, they send Jesus to Pilate, because, well, Pilate has the power of life and death. He can sentence anyone he wants to. But Pilate's a politician. He's way too smart to do just whatever they ask of him. He needs to weigh up the situation. What would each option lead to? How much support did Jesus have? Would killing him make him a martyr and rally the people in an uprising? Would not killing him cause a bigger problem with the local leaders? It's always a matter of balance. Their conversation is pure political theatre. It's a dance of very carefully spoken words. Questions asked but never quite answered. Charges are made and identities confirmed but not in a way that helps Pilate. Are you a king? Are you asking because you want to know or because others have said that? It seems a strange question, but it's really important. Trials have a process and rules. In pretty much every justice system around the world, the minimum rights that you have are to be told what crime you've committed or are accused of, to face your accuser and to call witnesses. None of that has happened with Jesus. He was taken before the Jewish leaders in the middle of the night and they sent him to Pilate because they couldn't make anything stick. Calling yourself a king is treason and treason carries the death penalty. So you're a king? Not in the way that you understand. If Jesus admits to being a king, he will be executed. But we've seen before that Jesus isn't the least bit interested in being a king. Early in John's Gospel, the people tried to take him and make him king, but Jesus escaped and ran away. And that wasn't because he wasn't ready. Way back in the history of his people, the Israelites had come into the Promised Land. It had all been going really well, but they started to look around at the countries surrounding them, and they were rich, and had huge armies, and the Israelites wanted some of what their neighbours had. As they wondered how to get it, they noticed that the other nations had kings, and they didn't. That must be the route to power then. We need to get ourselves a king. And they did, despite warnings from God through the prophets. Samuel told them that kings come with a cost, but the people said they were willing to pay the price. Kings were a mixed blessing to Israel. Some were good, most were not. Some won victories, some failed in battle. And the biggest price was that Israel, instead of being a model of people living with God as their king, a shining light for the world to copy, well, now they were just like everyone else. By the time Jesus is around, their kings are toothless regional puppets, powerless in the face of the Roman Empire. This snapshot of a conversation between Pilate and Jesus is an insight into the mistakes we still make when we think we know where real power lies. Pilate's just 
trying to work out what's most convenient for him and for his bosses up the food chain. Jesus is giving a lesson in where power actually comes from. Jesus tells Pilate he has no army. Nobody will rise up in rebellion if they kill me. But before you do, here's something to ponder. Truth. Jesus has stated before that he is the truth. He talks about the sheep hearing the shepherd and knowing his voice. That's about working out who to listen to, who is true. The woman at the well hears Jesus tell her truth back to her and she knows that Jesus is trustworthy. Mary Magdalene hears the risen Christ speak her name and she knows that the resurrection is true. At the very least, it's ironic that two of the Ten Commandments are do not bear false witness and do not murder. There is very little truth to find in this whole process. The only person who's consistently truthful is Jesus. All the rest lie and scheme and hedge their bets, and they all bet on the system. They think that power lies in violence and control and domination. We can make you do what we want. Later we'll see Pilate offer the crowd a choice, a murderer called Barabbas or Jesus. And stirred up by their own leaders, the people choose violence. They choose Barabbas. After the sham trial's over, we see the political powers of the empire displayed in full force. There in the courtyard, the soldiers mock Jesus. They place a crown of thorns in his head and a purple cloak on his shoulders. And instead of a staff, they give him a fragile reed as a scepter. Jesus is crucified. It's the Romans' ultimate tool of control. Stay in line, or this horrific fate awaits you. And above his head is a sign, the King of the Jews. The Romans are mocking everyone. The sign's not about Jesus. It's about the people who put him there, and the empire reminding them exactly who's in charge. Jesus tried to tell Pilate that his power doesn't come from here. But this is John's Gospel, so we just need to go back to the start to see what Jesus means. In the beginning... Before time, Jesus was with God and he came here with us. And that's incredibly important because in the end, that's where Jesus will return to, to his father and sit at his right hand. And he's prepared a place for all of us in that kingdom. And that always seems far off. It separates heaven and earth. It makes heaven a place to aspire to, a place to go when we die. But For John, the idea is the opposite. The whole point of Jesus is to bring heaven and earth closer together, to show that the two can be the same place. And the motivation for that is love. God loved the world so much he sent Jesus so that we could have life. So why is it we find that idea so very hard to understand? Why do we continue to respond just like Pilate? As we shrug our shoulders and ask, what even is truth? Why do we resign ourselves to living in a world that's so opposite to what we say we believe? Is it because it's too hard or too inconvenient or still too dangerous to stand up and stand out? Why do the pilots of this world thrive? And why do we follow them and hold them up as some kind of example to be followed? We're called to be light to a world where people live in darkness. We're challenged to be critical thinkers in a time when people are suspicious of any claim to know the truth. But most of all, and perhaps hardest of all, we're invited to be loved. Loved by a God who sent his own son to suffer all that the kingdoms of the world could muster. And loved us still.
Prayers for others and ourself. God of hope and joy, return our thoughts to your world, to your creation. As we witness the turning of the seasons, we give thanks. We pray for those who are seeking hope. We pray for peace and turmoil. We pray for hope and despair. We pray for joy and pain. We pray for the comfort of those who mourn. May they know your special blessing. We pray for those in hospital and all who work in the caring profession. Give them strength to face the challenges of a busy winter. We pray for our young people trying to continue in education with all the challenges of last year. God of peace, we pray for ourselves that we may follow you more closely 
as the church year draws to a close, show us your ways that others may find your, our, your peace in their hearts. All these things and many more we ask in the words that you taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forget our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. Go now, out into the world, a world reigned by earthly leaders. Go proclaiming God's kingdom. Show grace and mercy to all people. Serve your brothers and sisters as Jesus did. Comfort all in need as the Spirit guides you. And may God's blessing and may God's blessing be with you all, now and forever. Each Sunday between 1 and 2.30pm St Inians is open for food bank donations. Over the Christmas period of course your donations become even more vital. We particularly need things that you might not think of, things like UHT milk and juice and tins of meat. So if there's anything at all that you can donate that would be most gratefully accepted. The Christmas light switch on this year for the village is at the Community Garden on Sunday the 28th of November. That's from 4.30pm until about 5.30pm when the Gala Queen will switch on the Christmas lights and we'll be entertained with some singing and carols. Santa's Grotto is open on Saturday the 4th of December from 10am till 2pm and that's fun for all the family. Come and meet Santa from 10am until 2pm in St Ninian's Church Hall. The Christmas quilt raffle, along with lots of other prizes, uh, tickets are £2 or three for £5, and those are available from Anne Thompson and Agnes Barr. Night Church is on Sunday the 5th of December from 7.30 until 9pm. That's at St Ninian's Church in Stonehouse. All are welcome. It's a space where you can come and be still. You can stay for as long as you like. That could be five minutes or the whole hour and a half. We'd be delighted to see you. And a very special service that happens at St Ninian's over the Christmas period every year is our service called Light in the Darkness. It's a service of remembering, a quiet service where we take some time to remember those we miss most at this Christmas period. So that's going to be on Sunday the 12th of December at 3pm in St Ninian's Church. All are welcome. <laughs> 